Yes, I, we're live. This is exciting, Terry. We're live on LinkedIn. Yes, and YouTube and Facebook. Right, we're equal opportunity live streamers. This is very exciting. And uh, we started this uh, about a year ago. We were talking uh, just before we went live. But before we do any of that, uh, Mike Palmer here and uh, and Terry, obviously uh, this you're streaming this from your streaming <laughs> my uh, kingdom <laughs> your kingdom so uh you want to introduce yourself uh just really quick at the top in case anyone doesn't know what's going on yes i am terry gibbons and i am currently a uh a i'm a political scientist and a professor at mcgill university but i'm also the ceo and founder of brighter higher ed and uh, we're also transitioning into becoming brighter professional development because we're doing lots of workshops around my my book which came out in february some of you may have heard about it um radical empathy finding a path to bridging racial divides and mike and i have been talking uh higher ed for over a year now it's been really fun yeah yeah so we started last year in uh the throes of the Actually, we started in the summer, like last, I'm trying to remember this right, get the chronology right, but we started right around when uh, things were settled down after the first wave and heading into the fall of 2020 was when the, the second wave really did kick in. And obviously campuses were very much uh, a flashpoint for a lot of the conversations about the pandemic. That was something we started talking about. Mm -hmm. But as you were mentioning, when, when we checked in earlier today, like we we thought we would do this for a shorter run. Like we thought we would have a relatively narrow span of time where it was, you know, pandemic end times, you know, very challenging and you're struggling through it and all. But, you know, you power through it. When you power through something, you think of it more as uh, maybe a year at longest. And now we're heading into our second fall semester of things going uh, going long on this pandemic. And I think it's wearing us all down a little bit, uh, but uh, but we're back to bring some keep hope alive as uh, as Reverend Jackson has, uh, you know, seems like he's beaten the, 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 the COVID this go around too, which is which is also good to hear. But, yes, that was very yeah, good news. How, yeah, exactly. So uh, What's new in your world, uh, Terry? You know, like it's back to school. Uh, yes. You're in a new role this this fall. Uh, can you catch us up a little bit on what, what's happening uh, on that side of things? So as I mentioned, I'm a professor of political science at McGill University, but I'm also the provost academic lead and advisor on their plan to combat anti-Black racism. And that's a broader strategy that they've developed. And of course, it's in response to events of the past year, uh, but also kind of the history. So McGill does not have a good history on uh, hiring black faculty. And, and there's been a lot of discussion around this. And so they have a strategy to bring in black more black faculty. They've already gotten going on it. Um, and so I'm just here to help out with that in any way I can, including uh, getting the word out. So if you're a faculty member out there or a PhD student, uh, come and join us at McGill. We're hiring in lots of areas, political science, sociology, English, um, in, on the medical faculty and the dentistry faculty and music. We just hired three amazing uh, jazz musicians in the School of Music. So there's just a lot going on there. But uh, it's also just as a faculty member, it's been fascinating for me to watch this from the inside, what's going on with how McGill as a university is dealing with COVID. 
Um, so for example, um, you know, there was a lot of discussion. So that it's interesting because I don't think a lot of people in the US are hearing what's happening about what's happening in Canada. And the province of Quebec has basically said, you know, uh, going to school is an essential activity. And so we can't require people to be vaccinated, but there's a very strong push to get people vaccinated. And so, uh, but there's been a lot of discussion about this, whether the, the university can or can't uh, require vaccinations. But frankly, there's a very high vaccination rate at McGill or, or in, more broadly in Montreal and in Quebec, the province. Um, and I, the, what I saw most recently, and it's probably gone up because of the new vaccine, Quebec does have a vaccine passport. I got mine. Um, mm -hmm. Luckily, it was easy because I already had a vaccine passport from uh, California that was uh, relatively easy to get. And then all I had to do was upload the, upload the QR code to the Quebec app. And now I have my Quebec vaccine uh, passport, but uh, right. in general, um, you know, McGill has uh, you know, we, everybody's wearing masks um, when indoors, and uh, there's also some classes like I'm teaching over 220 students this semester. Um, so uh, if you're over 150 students in a classroom, you're teaching remote. And um, I just did actually right before this, I did my office hours remote. Uh, but uh, you know, it, we, I did have quite a few students show up and want to talk about uh, what it's like to be a professor. But anyway, just you know, more generally, I'm finding that you know it's interesting how we're still dealing with COVID. We, I don't think a year ago we thought we would still be dealing with COVID. Although I don't know, even a year ago that we were really sure about the vaccines; they were still being tested. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And now we, you know, I, I think everybody's been, you know, it, it was such a huge relief in the spring to have the vaccines to see that they were effective, and now we've got these new. Um, variants for those who are Loki fans, you know, it's not a surprise <laughs> that we have variants, but um, uh, the, you know, these variants are, are having an impact now. And, and mm -hmm. I just canceled a trip to Washington State because, um, you know, uh, there's a actually, I'll, I'll, if I can, I'll post a link to this article in, in the chat because there's a story about how um, Idaho is sending a lot of their sick COVID patients to Washington State because their their hospitals are, are overloaded. And Washington State has been, you know, Eastern Washington is not doing very well with COVID. And so that's having, right. so I don't think people are, are have thought as much about kind of how the what's happening in one state is impacting other states and and so on. So anyway, yeah. that's that's yeah. a lot, but um, that's what's going well, on you, in my world. You know, <laughs> this, this show this show has become more cosmopolitan by virtue of you getting this uh, this gig at McGill. So now you're going to Montreal and uh, and even crossing borders. That is a that border is more real now in terms of COVID policy and uh, hopefully in terms of you know. A relatively easy border crossing. Hopefully, that's something that will <laughs> come back. Come oh back. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So you know, I, I I initially crossed the border back in July uh, for my first trip to Montreal, and that was something because even though I waited until you didn't have to do the two week quarantine because it was that, so I was on the first flight from direct flight from San Francisco to Montreal after mm -hmm. they said no more you know two week quarantine if you're vaccinated. And um, Air Canada hadn't quite gotten all their act together around that. And so, you know, it was we, we had a long wait in line to get check in because everybody you can't just, you know, check in and get your you, you yeah. can't do self check in. You have to go and show yeah, your paperwork. I was yeah. saying it's no it's no longer George Clooney uh, up in the air where you can just streamline your your uh, although what about the global access entry? Like, well, that's uh, fine when. 
yeah that's fine when you're you're leaving yeah. when you're yeah. like when you land but when you're going to check in and check your bags mm. and all of that mm. um, right. it, it's right. a longer process because mm. you have to sh so you have to go to the agent and show them mm. your your if you're vaccinated and if you're not right. of course you know when you get to uh canada you have to get a covid check covid yeah. test you have to have you have to have already done a covid test um, and we already took our we already took our shoes off exactly exactly so you have to have your covid tests to travel internationally in most to most countries you have to for canada at the time i had to have a reason to go there so i had to at the time i have a work permit now but at the time i didn't have my work permit yet so i had to show you know they the, the mcgill had sent me all these documents i had to carry yeah. with me and show to the and you know and what's interesting to me as somebody who studies immigration is that you know the 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 desk agents are actually acting as um you know the immigration people because they're they're ha they have to okay you to get on the plane so they're looking yeah. through and like this woman next to me was going to trying to go visit her pregnant daughter and mm -hmm. they were giving her all kinds of grief and and so yeah. it was just really interesting how this played out and anyway so our flight was delayed because they didn't have enough people checking people in so we were delayed by an hour and then uh, what's the other thing i've noticed that's happening is people who are transferring flights so maybe somebody flew from you know, Asia to San Francisco and then San Francisco to Montreal. Well, some of those people aren't able to get into Canada because they didn't do all the, the things that they were supposed you know, or, you know, too much time has lapsed between their COVID tests. Yeah. So we had like three people on my first flight who couldn't fly to, to, you know, they had to be taken off the flight and rescheduled. And then the same thing happened the last time I flew. And so it's just crazy out there. Yeah. And then, then I had to go through the whole immigration process when I landed and that took a while right. anyway. But anyway, this last time I flew to, to Montreal was much, much easier. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, it, and, and Montreal, there, there are worse places to be flying to as well. Yes. So Montreal is a, is a wonderful town. We're going to have to learn more about that as we pick up with uh, with our this week uh, or this month, whatever cadence we land on in terms of checking in about what's happening. But uh, but yeah, it's pretty interesting that also just because last fall and just fall in terms of these types of viruses, mm -hmm. you do start getting concerned about what's the winter going to be like mm -hmm. and how resolved are we going to be out of all this? And then how's that going to impact the higher ed in terms of on campus versus online? Uh, you mentioned, you know, above a certain uh, number you go mm -hmm. to teaching it online. Uh, it is opening up a lot of the thinking, I think around when you're face to face, what value are you getting out of it? And then what risk is there around the, the Brian Alexander, we'd like to, to cite his toggle term, uh, a lot on this show, but this idea that you go out with, everything's going to be great. We're going to be in person, the whole, we're going to power through. And then if mm -hmm. for whatever reason you have to go back on that decision, you know how how beat up do you get in the in the press? How do parents feel about that? How do students feel about that? And uh, how much value do people, do students and parents and the rest of us feel like we're getting out of an online education if it's only delivered as a backup or a stopgap? Uh, right. It does feel like we're in a really any perspective on that now that you're you're more uh, back in the ring as a as a teacher <laughs> as a as an academic as a professor and now you're doing it so you're just doing it online now then mm -hmm. or are you still right, doing for now some... yeah i'm yeah. only teaching one class per semester because i'm also doing the work on uh, the uh 
uh, anti-black racism strategy yeah. and yeah. so on. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was just talking to a student who was saying he took fewer classes last year because, you know, of COVID and he didn't want to be all online. And um, but right now, you know, one of the challenges for the students, and I think it's working it, so far as I can tell, it seems to be working out fine is, you know, they so they may have one class live and then one class online. So where do you go to do the online class? And you know, if you're in the library, you know, um, or right. You know, there's space. They've created the nice thing is they've created spaces on campus for for them to do those online classes. But you know, you, it, it depends. You know, you might end up only having a few, you know, one class live and the rest online, depending if you're taking a lot of big classes. You know, however it may yeah. work out. And then you know, but I want to raise the other issue that's I've seen across um, higher ed is the situation where you have you know where students are being asked to wear a mask. But um, maybe they aren't. There was this this case of the the professor who he he had come back out of retirement to teach a particular class, and um, he ended up uh, you know he told the students you know look I I have I'm immune compromised I need you to wear your mask. Well, one student came in late, didn't wear her mask, and he asked her to, and she wouldn't. So anyway, she he walked out. And he not only did he walk out of the classroom, he quit. You know, and yeah. and there's you know there's kind of this issue going on of you know, who should, you know, the faculty are rising up and saying, hey, you know, we, especially I, I feel for, um, you know, uh, faculty who have kids under 12, um, you know, here, and actually that's just here in you know, the U.S. I, I didn't realize that in the U.K. they, they were only starting to talk about uh, vaccinating kids under 18. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I just posted an article on Twitter, um, about San Francisco schools, you know, they haven't had any COVID outbreaks, um, right. and uh, they've got a ninety percent um, vaccination rate uh, for right. kids twelve through seventeen. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's. I think what's really fascinating is just the huge variation, right? I mean, yeah. some places are at forty percent, others are at seventy percent. You know, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. here we're not well. You know, in Montreal, it's you know seventy to eighty percent. It's just really interesting to see how, um, you know, there are these differences uh, yeah. from from place to place. Absolutely. And then for me, as a parent of a two-year-old, you know, like there's no vaccines. A very adorable two-year-old, uh, by the way. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the vaccine, like, there's not going to be a vaccine there. But also at the same time, uh, universal 3K is here in New York City. So like, the, you know, since Matthew, my son turns three this year, even though it's the end of the year, he qualifies for the the 3K and uh, that's starting, you know, and that's, it, you understand, but it's kind of got to be in person. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, you can't have like online 3K, but then at the mm -hmm. same time, at the same time, you know, those kids can't really be vaccinated, although, you know, hopefully they have the, the good immune systems, but it, it definitely brings it all home when you start start thinking about those trade-offs and uh and it reminds me a little bit of the you know going away to college is a similar you know being exposed to other kids and giving your kids that room to kind of grow into the next chapter of their lives is very uh analogous i think to like when your kids are first leaving the nest and especially for those of us who had that time during the pandemic where you're kind of on lockdown with your kids. Mm -hmm. uh, it's true. Also a lot of parents I've talked to who, uh, you know, you're, you've had this recently where your kids are going away to college mm -hmm. during a precarious time 
you know, the emotional weight of managing not just your, your own life, but your kids' lives and their educational life and their social life as it relates to education. It's a, uh, we ain't got time for this, Terry. We got, we got, we got stuff to get done, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. the, the, you know, we've had several uh, webinars and discussions about kind of the mental health aspects of, of this whole thing. And we have our, one of our favorite people from Toronto, Steve Jordans, who's, who's been doing a lot of work around this. And if you haven't checked out Steve Jordan's uh, course on, I think it's on Coursera, but um, he has this whole course on kind of how to deal with the mental health issues around all of this. And mm-hmm. um, I know for me personally, it, it, it feels wearing, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it feels like, and I, I've heard this from so many people, of course, that, you know, there was the initial, oh, great, you know, kind of relief that we're getting vaccinated and then watching the variants and then, you know, sending my son back to, to school vaccinated, but, you know, yeah there have been outbreaks in his high school. Um, Mm -hmm. And then for my college age son, you know, he, there have, you know, minor outbreaks where he is and and a sense that people are getting tired of following the rules and, and, you know, so that maybe they're, they're being a little more risky in their behavior. I know I, Mm -hmm. I, you know, you know, we went to a outdoor festival. We we kind of stumbled on it when we were at the beach uh, last weekend, but um, you know, there's these outdoor festivals and things and, you know, Montreal is a festival city. It's, it's just, you know, that's what people yeah. do. They, they shut down entire streets and, and people are, you know, when I got to Montreal the last time I, I, you know, my flight left it, you know, by the time you get to Montreal, it's in the evening. And so I was like, oh, I got to go find some dinner. So I'm walking down the street and there's all these people. And I'm like, I'm thinking, well, should I wear a mask or should I not wear a mask? Right. Outdoors, I'm vaccinated, mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's kind of. I, I feel like there's this constant inner dialogue going on. Of course, when I'm indoors, I'm wearing a mask, and right. you know, but I'm also starting to think about, okay, I'm going to have an 80 student class starting in January indoors, and you know, it's it's Montreal, so it's going to be very very cold, and you can't mm-hmm. be outside at all. So. Right. I'm just like, okay, how do I feel about that? And but I also I have yeah. colleagues right now who are teaching these classes. So I'm kind of watching what's happening with them, how they're managing, yeah. are there any issues? And um, you know, what do you do when that student has to be out for a couple of weeks because they're yeah. in quarantine? And right. this has been a, a huge issue. Yeah. Right. Which gets back to the the modality question where like ultimately I can't see how this stuff isn't gonna all be blended. Like you're gonna have mm-hmm some hybrid options available and you know because there are times where you're going to want the high touch of being in the same room as other people and depending on the nature of work if it's problem-based learning or you're working on a group project together you're going to want to be in the same space but there are times when uh you know i heard about this a lot with uh, the high flex model that frequently students prefer to take a lecture on their laptop from their dorm room or from the library or from somewhere else that fits more into their lives. I can't see us putting that genie back in the bottle. Like I I would imagine that it's short term. It's still, I think a question of costs and, you know, change exhaustion to your point, Terry, Mm -hmm. like it's hard to come up Mm -hmm. with like big sweeping reimagination projects when just, maintaining through the weathering that we're all going through with the, the pandemic 
particularly the emotional uh, weathering, which is something you know I've heard about that term more in in the context of racism and you know the types of uh, systemic stuff that keeps on hitting you all the time can really start to to wear at you uh, psychologically and uh, emotionally. But I think in a lot of ways that is intersecting directly with the public health weathering that we're all going through right now, where you know our behaviors need to change to to be conscious of it, uh, and then you know hopefully we're managing that so that our health is actually okay. But just the it's occupying a lot more of our working memory that could be applied to coming up with new things, mm-hmm. and um, it's surprising, right? Because I, I think that's the thing. It's surprising how long it's lasting, and that opens up the scenario that this is now part of the new normal is that there will always be some level of relatively serious risk that is counteracted by a regime of vaccination that continues to get updated and Mm -hmm. you either sign on to, I'm going to get a shot every year, you know, every maybe twice a year, even depending on how they figure it out. You just resign yourself to that and sure i'll wear a mask because like whatever it's just stuff changes like, oh. like for me for me as a new yorker i liken it very much to when uh, bloomberg banned smoking inside of bars mm-hmm. there was uproar and a lot of civil liberties yeah 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 it was still couched in the context of public health and now there's so many people i know who were smokers who hated that idea when it was first put out there who now credit him for their their health to credit that policy really for mm-hmm. changing the culture so that the behavior changes to me it brings me back to like the behavioral economics idea where like if you can nudge pete richard thaler's work like can you design the decisions and the context for people so that they're steered towards hopefully a better path you know which i i just don't know how many carrots you can put behind getting vaccinated by, by now, you know, people are, the perks are getting pretty good on the other, in some ways yeah. I'm like, why didn't, why didn't I hold out? You know, it's going to get yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, there've been the lotteries and, and so on, but um, you know, I, I it, it I, yeah, I'm looking at, so I was supposed to take a trip to Spokane, Washington, my hometown and at the end of September and you know, the, oh, I already mentioned that when I was, I'm supposed to see, I, I already forgot I was going to post the article from the New York Times, but, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's been really interesting to see what's happening, you know, even though I think Washington state has been doing a lot of the, the right things with masking and vaccination and all that, you know, right next door to them is the state of Idaho, which is doing nothing basically. And they're trying to send all their, their sick people um, to Washington, not all, sorry, I shouldn't say it. And that's hyperbolic, but you know, they they do have, you know, they're asking for hospital transfers and so on. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been, you know, so I'm basically canceling my trip because, you know, it's not just about, um, whether I get COVID or not, it's about what if something, you know, I have a medical emergency. And and that's what I think is really hitting a lot of people. So, you know, what if, you know, I know the numbers in uh, Oregon are getting higher and I'm putting the um, link here in the tab. And for those on LinkedIn, I'm going to post it there um, as well. But um, so if I'm looking down, it's because I'm on, I'm watching LinkedIn live on my phone. So I, cause this isn't posting um, uh, to there and we got a great, Oh, there's a question from Robert Gibson. Yeah. yeah. So hi, Rob. It's really great to see you. 
Um, so yeah, the, so there's things like what's happening kind of cross border in you know places like Washington and Idaho. But Mike, we we touched on that a little earlier um, about what Rob's asking about the number of faculty and staff seriously rethinking their careers. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that is huge. And it's not, but it's, and it's not just uh, faculty and staff in higher ed, it's K through 12 teachers. I For say, sure. And, you know, I mentioned the story about the higher ed teacher who left, but there's actually um, a lot of K through 12 teachers because keep in mind, it's even worse in K through 12 because teachers have, you know, options. Um, there's such a huge demand for teachers, K through 12 teachers, that if they decide to leave their job, it's not going to be that hard for them to, to go and find another job, but replacement is really hard. So yeah. this is going to be something that I think public, you know, and obviously what's happening here, unfortunately, is political. I'm a political scientist. You know, so we're seeing this becoming un very, very, very unfortunate. This is becoming a um, partisan issues. So you have states where they're, you know, they're taking all kinds of measures, and then you have other states where they're doing less. So you're creating an incentive system for people, you know, depending on their preference, you know, they may decide, hey, I don't want to be in the state that's requiring masks and all this other stuff. And others may be saying, hey, I don't want to be in the state that's not requiring masks. So, right. um, so Mike, uh, you know, I think we have to, to look at it from the political perspective as well. And I, I really like Rob's point about this. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's just yeah. interesting and, and, stuff. And Robert, uh, Robert Gibson, for those of you who haven't seen him on LinkedIn, I get a lot of really great information from, uh, from his feed. He's, he's, a, he's doing really great work out there. And uh, this is another example of that. But I would think of it in, a, in another way as well, which is in some ways, if you're not rethinking your career at this point, you probably should be. You don't necessarily need to be exiting your current mm -hmm. role, but I think mm -hmm. the the way in which this stuff is going to be delivered is going to continue to evolve. And there are opportunities now around the reimagination that's happening within education for the next, say, five to 10 years. So I do think there is an opportunity to be flexible in terms of your career path. I think in some ways that flexible thinking hasn't really been built into the academy you know, where it's more, you know, you almost are defending your position as you climb. Um, yeah. Do you have any perspective on that, Terry? Like, you know, how much, because you've, you've sort of done both. You've, you've left formal academia. You've also moved in, a, a, you know, an administrative role at different points in time. But uh, what about this current state of play and, you know, the opportunities to kind of branch out, do something different, move into another sector versus stay within because uh, there is the critique both of higher ed and k-12 that it's really entrenched uh hard to change so if you're excited about doing some new and exciting things these days any advice to folks uh out there in higher ed well you know that there's so much going on oh my goodness you know where do you start i mean you've been following a lot of this on in your podcast mike the trends mm -hmm. in education um Actually, my biggest piece for advice and, and for anybody, whether it's K through 12 or higher ed, is to start. Actually, there's so much of this discussion is going on on in LinkedIn. And um, we've been having these discussions in Clubhouse. You know, there's a great uh, series being done by um, oh, uh, Matt. What's Matt's last name? Darn Matt Alex. Matt Alex. Thank you. Yep. Matt, Matt Alex. So if you ha aren't on Clubhouse yet, get on Clubhouse. I haven't been as active lately because I've been completely swamped and overwhelmed with my new job, but I will be getting back on there. And I, I have a Radical Empathy Club um, on uh, Clubhouse, which where we talk about topics from my book, um, 
uh, radical empathy, finding a path to bridging racial divides. And, um, but also uh, we talk about the latest in higher education and we're, you know, every campus is having this conversation right now, but faculty need to be aware of it because it could impact their future job situation. You know, are we going to be doing more online and remote teaching? I mean, yeah. one of the biggest topics out there right now is access. How do we get more students to have access? You know, how do we get them micro-credentials or certificates? You know, all of these things are in the mix. And faculty, you know, this is why I said way back when I started the, you know, the Center for Higher Education Leadership, because I realized, you know, faculty, it's even hard to get faculty to be on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it, it's, we need more faculty to become engaged in these conversations. And I, I know mm -hmm. a lot are, but it, it, we need more. <laughs> so yeah. my biggest piece of advice right now to any faculty member, K through 12 or higher ed, get on LinkedIn, join Clubhouse, get involved in these discussions, follow me, follow Mike, follow people like Matt Alex and Rob Gibson. And, and I see my, that's my nephew, Anthony in there, um, who's up in Spokane. And, um, and see, it's, it's, you can see how incredibly sad I am that I did not make it to Spokane because I was going to get some great barbecue. But I'm coming as soon as as soon as things ease up, uh, especially on the hospitalizations. So, so, so Terry, I get another. I know I know we're trying to figure out how long we want to go, but one area I definitely wanted to get some of your perspective on is I know you're from you're from Spokane. 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 <laughs> you're Spokane for I understand, but you also uh, spent a little bit of time in a state called Texas. Mm -hmm. And Texas has been very much in the news lately. Uh, I think maybe how higher ed intersects with some of the the, the situation that's been emerging out of uh, Texas. I'd love to get and the Supreme Court, which is uh, something more maybe from a political science uh, perspective. You might have a little bit of a take on that. But any thoughts on where we are uh, right now in terms of uh that issue and that issue as it might relate to uh, to higher ed, because I would have, you know, it's like access to safe abortions on for, for university students is in some ways a, a flashpoint as well. Like whatever whatever cultural challenges we have are going to be in some ways, you know, played out on the stage that is higher ed. Oh, and we also got to talk about the chair, which I haven't really oh, that's caught, right. up, caught up on yet, but oh, uh, there's goodness. so much to talk about. So, so at least a beat or two <laughs> okay. of those, but, uh, but okay. starting with uh, the yeah. Texas. Yeah. So let, okay. We have to have a whole nother LinkedIn live just uh, about the chair. Okay. So that sounds good. Yeah, I've, I've watched the whole yeah. series, so I, I'm caught up. But uh, no, that, no spoilers, no spoilers. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll save that for another time because I have thoughts. But anyway, um, OK, so we're seeing, um, you know, these kind of political divides playing out in higher ed and, um, you know, across states and, and across borders and so on. And so, I, I mean, God, we're just we're in this really interesting political time where, you know, the whole issue of. Uh, you know, how students are, are having access, you know, to various things, you know, so it, it so for example, even on voter suppression, um, you know, there's the, the big debate about whether students should be able to vote with their college ID, you know, there's a whole abortion access issue, there's, um, you know, so all of these things are becoming, you know, part of, and they have been, these aren't new. These are, these are issues that have been going on for a while. And obviously from state to state, this varies. So yeah, I was in Texas for 12 years and, you know, I was out there in front of the Capitol, you know, calling for women's health rights and, and so on. 
Um, but uh, you know, of course, as a as a person, as an individual, not representing my institution. But um, you know, it, it, and then you throw on the whole free speech issue, right? I mean. Uh, what are you know faculty and administrators allowed to do and say on social media? We keep having mm -hmm. these you know situations where something will come up from somebody's Facebook and you know it gets posted and spread you know and cancel culture you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I mean one of the things again I'll, I have to put in a plug for my friend um, uh, Jonathan Friedman at Penn America. He's been working with campuses across the country and then even across the border on these issues of how campuses should handle free speech. Um, and, you know, the, the interesting thing is he and I have kind of gotten together on this because a lot of it comes back to radical empathy in the sense that, you know, sometimes, you know, it's not, yes, you have the free, you have free speech and you have the right to do that, but should you do it? Right. right. It, it's, it's not just a question of, okay, I have the right to do this. Like, should you do it? And, mm -hmm. um, and there's personal responsibility and, you know, there's there's a sense of care and compassion for, for people. And so yeah. I think those are some of the things we have to keep in mind that, you know, it's not just about am I going to score political points? It's like, am I taking care of the people around me and the people who, you know, are, I need to be supportive of? Um, you know, am I taking care of my students in the classroom? Um, yeah. You know, I, I want them to have an environment with, where they feel included and so on. And so, you know, these are, th there's a lot of issues around this that we have to really manage. Um, and so I think this is an ongoing discussion and I'd love to get some of the folks, uh, maybe Rob, we can get you on our, our next uh, um, uh, live cast to talk about this whole issue of the future of online learning. Um, Cause that, yeah, you know, yeah. Anyway, we could, when we have plenty of time, I'm I'm not in a rush to go, so uh, we can keep this yeah, going. Well, but yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, because also we didn't touch on uh, sports, uh, which oh, is yes. another topic that we tend to touch on from time to time. Truth be told, I am a a podcaster. A couple of podcasts out there, trending in education. I've been doing for for five years now. That's my bread and butter. But also started a sports podcast called Running It Back with uh, my friend Tarlin Ray, where we Less, look for lessons learned from from sports, but lots of lessons to be learned from this football season that just kicked off. And particularly if we're talking about higher ed, uh, how college football relates to the national zeitgeist. I like to say the word zeitgeist as often as possible because it's fun to say. But, uh, but any thoughts, Terry, in terms of what's been happening in college football, in the sports world in general, and how it might relate to higher ed? Well, first of all, I have to cheer for my my Cardinals, Stanford Cardinal. They they got out there and kicked USC's butt. <laughs> so yay, Stanford. Um, but so, Mike, you forgot the most obvious thing. We have players are able to get paid. Oh my God, name and <laughs> name and likeness, right? But that's that's kind of old news, though, right? They, like maybe we just we haven't met in a while. That might be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. We haven't talked about it. Well, I mean, it's maybe true. we talked about it sort of, but I mean, but it's actually happening, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's that's not, true. It's not um, it's not hypothetical or just a kind of an abstract thing. It's actually right. happening, and right. so I think what's going to be interesting is um, you know to to get this the, to see how this plays out, and you know I've seen some articles about you know basically the you know the quarterbacks and the running backs and the star athletes are getting the attention and the right. linebackers aren't and there was one situation where one of the players shared his um uh his earnings with his team and which makes sense because you want those linebackers to be 
blocking for you. <laughs> you know, I remember yeah. some of the, right. the, the these um, quarterbacks will buy gifts for their linemen. You know, yeah, it's like you guys sense. are saving my life. <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah, more broadly, you know, it, to kind of pull it back into the COVID conversation, you know, we're we're in a situation where you know the the stadiums are full, and in some states, people are vaccinated, some maybe not so much. You know, we're we're you know it's but it's outdoors, so are we okay? And um, but I have to bring in the whole Notre Dame situation from this last weekend, where they had their game was only um, on um, shoot, which streaming service was it on? I can't, oh, Peacock. Peacock, yeah, that makes yeah. So the game was only on Peacock, and I saw that there was a letter to the the president complaining because you know the the you, know, you had to pay to to watch, and and in previous years you know most of these games were on NBC broadcast. Yeah, so, Notre yeah. Dame Notre Dame's football program is not necessarily what it used to be. Is part of yes. what that, that well, and that yeah. the stadium yeah. was fairly empty and, and mm. but i mean you have to look at they were playing what toledo i mean come on right uh, i think but, it'll but be, quickly yeah. also while we're talking college sports name and names name image likeness how about one jr smith's name image and likeness in, in his professional sorry not his professional his ncaa college golf career you're following that story because that I is not <laughs> oh he's a, he's an amazing follow if you aren't following jr smith right now because it's basically rodney dangerfield's back to school except it's jr smith who is a former nba basketball player he's the guy who lebron was going i can't believe you just did that jr because he's he's a kind of a fa famous for being a bit of a knucklehead as a as a basketball player mm -hmm. but now he's gone to uh University of North Carolina a and I think, uh, mm -hmm. to play, I think it's D1. I know it's college golf mm -hmm. because he's taken up golf for years, but he's kind of funny in that he's tweeting about it and sort of sharing his uh, his kind of Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, again, I, I equate this all to uh, Back to School, the movie from the 80s uh, with Rodney Dangerfield and the, the triple Lindy dive where he you know was part of the diving team. But again, I'm going too deep on this, uh, Terry. Where we, where do we land next? That was where some, of the, some next? of the some of the eight material. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think where we land next is to to kind of wrap things up here because we're we're going on 40 minutes and nice, uh, which is perfect. I think it's great podcast length, whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah, you know, it, so I just want to conclude with so I, I, I yeah I, I, as always I enjoy talking to you and we get into so many different topics you know and and um, if folks out there have ideas like uh, Rob we're gonna pull you in to talk about this whole issue of online learning and being flexible and stackable we're oh, and I, I know you've been following the news um, and I'm sure Mike you've been following the news about the merger between um, uh, Blackboard and I believe it's anthology is the, the that's right yeah so that's another big topic. Um, so we have yeah. plenty of material to work with. And, you know, I'm, I'm busy at McGill, but uh, these discussions are important and talking about the future of higher education. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll, we'll just keep this going and uh, we'll figure out our schedule eventually because <laughs> my life has been insane. Not only am I you know teaching and, and doing this work uh, at McGill, but I've also got another book I'm working on. So my publisher is on me to, to get that done. It's supposed to be, so it's going to, on the roots of racism, that's coming out in January, as long as I keep to my schedule. And yeah. again, I, I have to plug my, my other book, Radical Empathy, Finding a Path to Bridging yeah. Racial Divides, you know, mm -hmm, check in mm -hmm. with me on LinkedIn or, or wherever you want. And 
Uh, we are doing workshops related to that. And I believe we will be able to get this discussion on our podcasts um, for this week in higher ed. So um, this is our first show. We are celebrating. Mike, this is our first LinkedIn Live. This is, this is our first, uh, first time using. So for those who don't know, well, actually LinkedIn Live, you can use various platforms, but we are using StreamYard. So it's our first time on StreamYard and we're learning all the ins and outs of that. And we thank those of you who have joined us for this discussion. And we will we'll let we'll be be sure to get out with a schedule soon <laughs> yeah all right all right so i'm going to end us here and uh mike um big hugs to your little guy and yes uh, um i'll make sure to give my big guys uh <laughs> hugs and uh, i hope everybody is having a good back to school 2021